Lord, you are here, and we are here. Help us to learn to wait upon you, to listen for your spirit speaking into our lives. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So, is your heart ever troubled? (laughs) Do you look around and see conflict? Are you worried about a loved one? What burdens trouble your heart? The reality is I think all of us have problems. Our hearts grieve over things. There are times when we just react to situations rather than praying about them. When we despair at something that's happening and we lose sight of who we are and where we are going and to whom we belong. And at those times, at those times in our life, Jesus wants us to know we are not alone. He is with us. Jesus tells his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. And I'm thinking, right, no worries here. They should rejoice because he's going away. Rejoice? Now, can you see these disciples? Their eyes are rolling. They're looking at one another. We're rejoice because he's going away. We've been with him for three years. He's told us everything to do. We depend on him. And now he wants us to rejoice because he's going away. So, um... My guess is they're a bit maybe stressed, uncertain. What's the future going to look like? But he tells them, he says, I'm going to give you something to keep you safe and well and in my spirit. And the com- then the thing that I'm going to give you is called a comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he says this comforter, comforter, will bring what into our life? Peace. Peace where there is no peace. You know, I think perhaps we often look for peace in all the wrong places. Instead of just sitting down and taking our time and turning our lives to God, we run around and try to make things right and do things and call up people and worry them and try to get support. And we miss the idea that peace is right there with us every minute of every day. But, you know, we have to look for it. We can't just, it's there. But, you know, there's a lot of things there as well. So the distractions of the world tend to pull us away. But the peace is there. Yesterday, I was in the car. We had a couple days at the beach with some friends, and I was in the car coming home when I got an email from a very close clergy friend of mine. And he told me that a good friend of ours, who is rather an elderly man and his wife, were shocked by the news that their daughter had died suddenly, heart attack. One minute here, the next minute gone. And that they are grieving, they are amidst, they are in their despair. 
They are sad. They don't want phone calls. They don't want people yet entering in on this because they are still seeking that peace of Jesus. They're looking for him. They know because these are long-time committed Christians. They know the Lord. They know he is there. And they are clinging to him. But it doesn't mean that they are not desperately grieving. That their hearts are not broken. Because they are. They're clinging to Jesus. They know Jesus brings peace. And they know where their daughter is. But it is still incredibly painful. So Jesus says he comes and he brings peace. That word is actually shalom. And shalom is an inner peace. You can have this inner peace and know and still be in the midst of an incredibly turbulent, difficult time. And aware of all of that. And I kind of think that's where my friends are. They know that peace deep down inside. But they're grieving. They're missing. They're longing for all the things that they won't have. But they know the peace of Jesus. The peace of Jesus is the kind of peace that you find when you are out of control And you can't do anything about the situation. It's a deep knowing that God is in control. That God has a plan. Now, I can't always tell you that God's plan is really the plan I want. Thank you. So, this peace is with us, both individually and in community. And it's important for us to look for it and live into it. And the Holy Spirit, all right, this is, some people will consider this inappropriate, but I think of the Holy Spirit and the feminine. And just simply because it's gentle. It's kind. It's comforting. A lot of theologians would know. There are a lot of theologians who do too, but a lot of people would not agree with it. But I just think that's the sense that I get from the Holy Spirit. It's not pushing you into anything. It's not demanding 
It's coming in and letting it settle into who you are and change your life and what you're doing. So this kind of knowing the Holy Spirit leads into our passage of Acts today. And we find Paul and his disciples, well, not his disciples, but his friends, just Silas and probably Luke and um, who was the other one? Hmm, I've forgotten. Um, are on their way to preach. Oh, Timothy. Timothy was the other. How could I forget Timothy? So they're on their way on a missionary journey. And they know where they're going. They're going to Asia. A lot of work needed to be done in Asia, in their opinion, and they're going to Asia. Well, a funny thing happened. The Spirit would not let them enter Asia. Now, I wasn't there, so I can't tell you exactly how that happened. But I suspect, because Paul was pretty strong-willed, I suspect there's no ships going to Asia at the time. Something has lost, you know, somehow they've gotten stranded in the city and they can't move forward. And so they're there and they're waiting, probably still thinking they're going to Asia, when Paul has a dream. And he, in his dream, he sees that they should go to Macedonia. Well, Macedonia is a Roman colony. They go to a city called Thyteria, which is very small. But an amazing thing happens. The immediate, as as soon as Paul understands that they're to go someplace else, all of a sudden transportation is there and ready to go. And they're off. The Spirit has opened the way. It has prevented them going where it wasn't supposed to go. And it's opened the way for them to go. So, they're in, Ma- they're in Macedonia, or in the, in the territory of Macedonia, for several days. Wondering why the heck they're there. What are we supposed to do? Nothing's happened. You haven't shown us anything, God. What are we doing? And all of a sudden, it's Sunday, which is really Saturday for them, because it's a Sabbath day. Now, There is no synagogue in the city. Because in order to have a synagogue, you have to have ten, guess what, men. Ten men in order to have a synagogue. They don't have ten faithful men. There is no synagogue. But Paul knows that sometimes in these small towns where there are no synagogues, that people go out and pray outside the city, near a river if at all possible, but, you know, outside the city. And indeed, they are near a city. And often when you would have strolled into that kind of situation, you would have found um, some people maybe praying the Shema. Remember that prayer? Do we sit? Do we stand? Who knows what they were doing? Or they might have been hearing readings from the prophets or, but anyway, something is going on there. And Paul enters right into it. 
And he begins teaching. He begins teaching. And near where he's doing this is this woman named Lydia. Now, Lydia is called a God-fearer. She knows about the Jewish God. She is not Jewish. But she has respect for this God that she's heard about. And she's in their midst. And she walks up to Paul, and she wants to know more. So, okay, a few interesting things are going on here. Normally, women did not approach men. Normally, men did not respond to women in that way. That was not the culture. But Paul and his companions begin to engage with Lydia and teach her. Now, who is Lydia? Lydia happens to be a very wealthy woman, enormously unusual in the time. And she is a seller of purple cloth. Now, you know, we can go in the local fabric store and buy all the purple cloth we want. But in the first century, it took thousands of crushed mollocks to get what you needed to make purple cloth. And it only provided enough when these thousand or two for about one to two yards of purple cloth. So this is a big enterprise to be the dealer in purple cloth. Now, who wears purple cloth? Only the wealthy. Only the shakers and movers. If you were going to put this, maybe that's why I'm breathing. Bishops wear purple today. I don't know. <laughs> but if, if you were going to put it in light of our culture, the people wearing purple would be driving Teslas, wearing Gucci, having the best um, possible watch, Rolex that does everything in the world, and wearing crazy expensive sandals. That would be, you know, what it would be like today. These, that would be the people. That was the people that Lydia dealt with. Because she sold purple cloth to the wealthy, which made her fairly wealthy. So, she listens to Paul and she says, okay, will you baptize me and my family? Because she's traveling with some other women and it's even possible there was a man in the group or whatever, but she wants to be baptized. She, and as traditionally happened in the first century, when you were baptized, you baptized everybody in your house. If you had servants, they became Christians. You know, you baptized them all. And so Paul does baptize them. And Lydia says, well, now we've got that done. Let's move on. Let's move on. How about you coming and living at my house? Okay. I'm seeing all kinds of red flags here in the culture of the day. Men do not just come in and live at a woman's house, an unmarried woman. 
Um, and I'm thinking, wow, they're really learning how color outside the lines. I had, when my second daughter was in first grade, she had a teacher who was very precise about everything. And the teacher taught them to color, as if a first grader doesn't know how to color. But you could never color outside the lines. If you did, your paper did not get a good grade. You colored inside the lines. Now, this is driving me crazy. Because I'm like, how can you create anything if you're always inside the lines? You're not, you're not, they're all going to look the same. We leaned, and so I see here at this time with Paul and his willingness to go to Lydia's, take his companions. They're all going to settle into this house. The church, which was not really a church back then, it was just a community of people, is beginning to color outside the lines. They're beginning to realize that other people are going to be drawn in, that other things are going to happen. Now, Lydia, as it turns out, will be the leader of the church in Philippi. That's another really outside-the-line situation. And I've read that Philippi was always Paul's favorite church. I don't know if it's true, but I've read it in some of the commentaries. So she's going to be leading the worship. The spirit is on the move here, right? So they're going to be changed. They have to grow. They have to adjust. But Philippi isn't the only place the spirit was on the move. Spirit is on the move right here today in Good Shepherd. It's on the move in our lives individually and in our lives corporately. What do you think God wants to see happen at Good Shepherd? I think all of us need to be praying about that. We need to be praying and looking at an answer because the Spirit is going to speak in the community. If I hear something, I can't just say, well, this is what, it, what God wants to do. No, it has to be affirmed by the community itself. When I felt a call to go to seminary, and some of you that were in my 9 o'clock class teaching before will remember this, my husband looked at me and said, why would anybody call anyone as old as you to go to seminary? However, I felt a call to go to seminary. So what I did was I asked four people who I knew were real prayer warriors to pray for a month about it. And I did prayer walks for a month and prayed about it. And in the very last week, I heard the Spirit speak, and it said, go to seminary and go now. And the other people confirmed the call to seminary. But the interesting thing was, I was able to go to a seminary that was local, thought I would be able to do all my time there, never have to leave home, 
And four months later, that seminary was no longer aligned with the Episcopal Seminary. And had I not started then, that very fall, I probably wouldn't have been able to go. But the point is not about me. The point is that the Spirit is speaking to this church. And as we talk and come together and pray for the Good Shepherd, we're going to begin to see a vision for who we're called to be, for what we're called to be, for what our next step is. I think the Holy Spirit is just hanging over us right now, ready to empower us to get us to reach out, to get us to color outside the lines, to think outside the box, to be open to new and exciting avenues. So, in order to do that, we have to pray, We have to develop a sense of unity, and then we will have to develop a plan on how we have to move forward. But I know that God has that plan. I know that God is already working on the hearts of people in that plan. So I'm going to ask now, as I close, to come, Holy Spirit, fill us, empower us. Give us your vision. Make Good Shepherd into the church that you have created it to be. In your name we pray. Amen.